0: All right, good afternoon, New Philadelphia. All right. Today's message is the fifth and last sermon that I'm going to be preaching from the book of Haggai. If you have not heard the other four, be sure to go and download it off of our website, or through iTunes. I heard they're a real blessing. Hallelujah. Last week we looked at a prophecy that Haggai delivers in chapter 2, verse 10. And it was directed to the priests and to the people. Today we're going to look at Haggai's fourth and final prophecy, which begins in verse 20. So... um Let's all open up our Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Haggai chapter 2 verses... Uh, I'm going to read from 21 and verse 22. <coughs> this final prophecy of Haggai, this time is directed to one person, to Zerubbabel, the governor. All right. And what does Haggai say to Zerubbabel? Look at chapter 2 verse 21. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, all right, open up your Bibles right now. David, open up your Bible. Open up your Bibles. You got your, Read your Bible. Don't look up there. Look at your Bible. Uh, I'm sorry. I got to call out my disciples because I, I don't want them to pick up bad habits. All right, sorry for calling you out, bro. I love you. Uh, but look at your Bible, all right? If, if you're a guest and you don't have an ESV, then look up on the board. Uh, but if you're with me, just look at your Bible. Mark up your Bible. Know where this passage is, is in your own, own Bible. Because that's important. Now, Zerubb- Zerubbabel says, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and to overthrow the <laughs> throne of... God is shaking up David Pill today. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I bless. I bless you, brother. Let's start that again. Haggai chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. God is speaking to him. That's why God's calling him. All right. It says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. Hallelujah! God tells Zerubbabel that He's going to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow earthly kingdoms. Now, you look at in the world today. There's a lot of kingdoms right now. A lot of nations in the world. Anybody have a statistical figure how many nations there are actually in the world? Okay, it's a, it's a big number. It's a lot because there's like 6.6 billion people on the earth now. <clears throat> now I want you. Ask yourself this. Have you ever looked back at history and wondered why nations never endure for very long? The mightiest of nations that people thought would never go down, they eventually they fell. Why have there been so many kingdoms that have risen and fallen? Egypt, Babylon, Persia, And good old Rome. Why have kingdoms. Risen and fallen. And you know historians. They try to identify the causes of a nation's fall. By pointing out to environmental reasons. Like droughts or floods. Economic reasons. Or internal external attack. Or internal turmoil. Like civil war. But what many people fail to see. Is that it is God. Who overthrows kingdoms. It's God who raises them up, and God says, your expiration date has come. Hallelujah. You know that America, United States of America, and I'm an American citizen. Do you know that America is going to have an expiration date? You know, you may see it in your own lifetime. where well, you will not have a United States of America to travel to. Because that nation will also fall. It will fall. It's not the United States of America that will endure forever. Hallelujah. It's the kingdom of our God that will. And, you know, man, hallelujah. It's God who overthrows kingdoms. It is he who destroys the strength of a nation's government. He overthrows chariots, riders, naval fleets, missile programs. It is God who employs civil war. So that nations that look like they will never fall, they fall by the sword of their own brother. And in this last message by Haggai, he prophesies regarding the last days. Hallelujah. If you look earlier in chapter 2, verse 6, there's a very similar message we looked at. Look at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, that includes the United States of America, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 7 makes it clear that this shaking will not be limited to the shaking of Persia, which was the nation that the Jews were subordinate to at the time. It will be a shaking of all nations. God is saying he's going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land. That means there's going to be droughts, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, floods, hail. He's going to shake up everything you see around you. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give his light. When the heavens get shaken, there are going to be some strange signs you see in the heavens. And if you look at verse 21 and 22, you not only have a shaking manifested in natural disasters, but a shaking that will manifest in wars and the fall of government and nations. Jesus pointed to the shaking himself when he described the end times in Matthew chapter 24. He says there will be earthquakes. There will be like birth pangs before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you do not know this part of the scripture, we need to face this word, brothers and sisters. Because if any generation is close to the fulfillment of this word, it's our generation. And Jesus also said there, you will hear rumors of wars and wars, civil wars. There's going to be a lot of wars. And you know, as the more we get technologically advanced, the more we get civilized and educated, we thought at the turn of the reformation, at the turn of the 20th century, that finally man will become civilized and stop wars. But did you know that in the 20th century, it was the most bloodiest century to date, ever, by far. More people have been killed in the 20th century than in probably all the wars that have ever been combined before. Think about it. World War I, World War II, you had the Holocaust, you have Vietnam War. You had the Korean War. Millions of Korean civilians. They died during the Korean War. Supposedly we're supposed to get more civilized, but we're just getting more efficient in how we kill people in the wars. But that's what Jesus said. There are going to be rumors of wars. There are going to be a lot of wars. They're going to rise up. And praise God that right now He's blessing us with a time of peace in terms of your area of influence. Not if you're living in the Sudan or you know something like that, but at least right now, he's giving you this time of peace. And I'm telling you, you need, to re- you need to hear this word. You need to ready yourself. Because this time of peace may not last forever. And God will build up his people for the time of testing and shaking. Hallelujah. I'm scaring a lot of people in here. All right, Praise God, just receive it. Just receive it. Because you need to hear this in order for you to be courageous later. Isaiah 13, 13 mentions the shaking as happening... In the day of God's wrath and anger. When he will take vengeance on the nations. And he will have his judgment. And what Haggai is prophesying here. Is nothing short of an apocalyptic. It's an end time message brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Apocalyptic. So, you know, that's what we're looking at here. You know, it's not just contained to the history of that time. It's a prophecy regarding a future time. Hallelujah. And, you know, a lot of the prophets, they do that. Daniel does that. Isaiah does that. Doesn't just prophesy the first coming of Christ, but also mentions the coming of the second coming of Christ. Hallelujah. Now, just a side note. When God mentions here. Check this out. Verse. uh In chapter two, verse six. God says, yet once more, in a little while. When God says in a little while, (coughs) it's wise to take it with a grain of salt. Because it's been 2,500 years since this word was given to Zerubbabel, and we are still waiting for it to be fulfilled. Now, in the mind of God, it's as close and certain, close and certain as the rising of tomorrow's sun. But in our experience, it can feel a lot longer than a little while. So if a prophet of God comes up to you today and says, you will be married in a little while. All right, don't get too excited. All right, calm down. Right, it, might be, it might be a different kind of experience. Than what do you expect? Now, before we start to think that this little while is going to take another 2,500 years, brothers and sisters, let us look around and interpret the times. Look around the nations at this time. And I believe we got... Media, YouTube, we got YouTube, pretty much you can see the whole world through YouTube by now. And I believe the shaking has already begun. I think, in effect, it's already begun because if you look in the heavens, the earth, the sea, the land, just open up the news and read. Their natural disasters are on the rise. And a lot of uh, secular statisticians will say, oh, no, it's always been like this. We just didn't have good records back then. All right, okay, all right. But I'm telling you, if you look around every single other month, it seems like there's a flood in a new place. Flood in Myanmar. Earthquakes in China, devastated China just a couple of years ago. If you just think back a few years ago, there was an earthquake that caused a tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands in Southeast Asia in one instance. One of my NYU Classmates was one of them. She perished while she was on a vacation in Phuket. The shaking of nations and the fall of kingdoms has already begun. Think about it. In the 90s, one of the greatest nations in the world, the Soviet Union, fell. Just like that. We also saw Iraq fall. People didn't think we would ever be able to evangelize Iraq because it was just so guarded up. Iraq just fell overnight. And soon I believe we shall see North Korea's government collapse as well. Not because Kim Jong-il is a poor leader, but because our God overthrows the throne of kingdoms. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, you know, I believe the shaking has begun and it will continue and intensify. And as the people of God, we need to prepare ourselves so that this shaking does not take us by surprise. For all those who are asleep, man, this is going to just take you by surprise. But we need to be like watchmen, awake, alert. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 is actually quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. To turn there with me to verse 26. Hebrew chapter 12, verse 26. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, made by human hands, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. That there may be a distinction, a separation. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire! Hallelujah. hallelujah. Sorry, sorry to the guests. Although human kingdoms may rise and fall, in Christ we have received a kingdom, hallelujah, that will never be shaken. Amen? That cannot be shaken. Although kingdoms rise and fall, we inherit a kingdom That will endure forever. Hallelujah. Because the government will be upon his shoulders. And in the midst of all this shaking, the church of Christ is called to worship God with reverence and awe. Because our God is a consuming fire. You know, if we can get the fire of God to burn inside of us, the flames of persecution and tribulation will not burn us. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they walked around the, the furnace without getting the, even the smell of smoke on them. Those who have the consuming fire of God inside won't even blink when they're thrown into the furnace of affliction. Hallelujah. And they will glor- glorify God. And they will not compromise. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Bennego did not compromise. Hallelujah. And through all this shaking that God himself will initiate on this earth, the church's purpose is to remain strong, joyful, and full of hope. Brothers and sisters, we are to shine the brightest when the world turns darkest. That is our purpose. If you believe it, say amen. (laughs) Psalm 62, verse 2. Bang! Let me get that on there. It says, He alone is my rock. You can look up for this one. And my salvation he is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Amen? Amen. The Lord is your rock. Amen. He is your salvation. Amen. Amen. He is your fortress. Amen. Amen. So if all these things are true, then turn to your neighbor and proclaim, I will never be shaken. I will never be shaken. <laughs> the Bible says we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The question is, why is it that we look around and see so many churches and so many Christians being so easily shaken by the world, the flesh, hardships, and the devil? Why do we look around and see so many people, so many Christians being so easily shaken? Even those who experience the power of God's spirit. They experience the fire, the charismatic experiences, powerful ways. Even though them, they are very shakeable. Why? Right. I'll tell you why. I'll give you three reasons. Number one, people don't read the Bible. People don't read the Bible. It's real simple, but listen up. This is a very powerful word right here. Number one reason why people get so easily shook up is because they don't read the Bible. Either they have no hunger for it or they have no time for it. But those are two issues the devil usually attacks. And check this out. Just like I talked about last week, I cannot give you my faith. Holiness, faith, these are not transferable through secondary contact. You must build it up for yourself. You must build it up for yourself. And the Bible says that faith comes from hearing the word of God. Hallelujah. But when Christians only get into the Word of God once a week, my sermon, that is no way to represent a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You might know it in your head, but you will not truly experience it or display it to the world. If you were a boxer and you only got coached once a week, Hallelujah. I went to the, I went to the gym with uh, Mina recently. And uh, in my local gym, there's a little little punching bag. And uh, she was just going to work at the punching bag. She was, like, punching it real hard. And I was like, hey, she got some good form. And she looks like she knows what she's doing. And then this she came over, and he's like, oh, let me help you. Let me show you how it's really done. And Mina's like, oh, get away from me. Get out. Uh, and then he's, like, oh, insisting on helping her. And she's, like, just, like, punching it harder just to, like, hit him who's because he's holding it. I don't know. like. But she had this form. And I asked her later on. It's because uh, Brian Wee's younger brother, he's a boxer, actually. And uh, Mina used to tutor him. And so he taught him. He taught Mina a few lessons in boxing. So, brothers, watch out. Don't mess with Mina. <laughs> she's got a crazy crossover crossover. Um, But think about it. If you want to really get out and be a boxer, let's say you got coached just once a week. You practice just once a week. And you ate just once a week. Every time they step into the ring, what's going to happen to them? You ever ever remember uh, Nintendo, old school Nintendo? You got Mike Tyson's punch punch out? Mike Tyson's punch out. And when you get all the way up to Mike Tyson, man, my heart will be all beating like... Oh snap! This is crazy, because you know the other boxers when you box, like you can hit get hit a couple times, you can still stand on your feet, you know. But when Mike Tyson hits you with the uppercut and you don't dodge it in time, boom! (laughs) You're done. (laughs) That's that's what a lot of Christian people. There's a lot of Christians their their walk is like, man, they just. They just setting themselves for a beatdown. So many people in the church today they don't read the Word of God. And then they wonder why they feel so beat down in their walk. And because of their ignorance, Satan easily spreads lies. And tells them that the people of God are vulnerable, they have no weapons, they are weak. That we are simply sinners and helpless and that we should accept the pattern of defeat that you're experiencing. And all that because we do not read the word of God. But it's just, let's cast down the lies of the enemy and read the word of God. The second reason why so many people in the church are shakable is because they don't obey the Bible. And other people, they read and hear the word, but they don't obey what it says. There's a bunch of you in here that are like that. You know, Jesus told a parable of such people. Saying that they're like a man who builds his house on sand. And the house looks great on the outside. But when the storms come, when the time of shaking comes, that house experiences a great fall. You see, when God brings the shaking, he's trying to... Bring down all these secular nations and kingdoms that he's destined to bring down. He's not trying to bring you down. But when you're not obeying the word of God, that's what you're going to experience. Brothers and sisters, this is not the picture of an unshakable kingdom. We are representing our Lord very poorly. If you try to build your faith just on spiritual experiences and you neglect to obey, apply the word of God into your life, tremble before it. Obey it fully. If you're not doing that, then you know what you are. You're like the first two pigs in the story of the three little pigs. Satan's just going to wait. Let you build your little house. That's nice. Oh, You, you forgot about that window there. That's nice. He's going to let you build it up. And then he's going to come over there. And he's going to huff and puff and blow your house down. Because a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You might be like, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. That's because Satan is just, just letting you do your thing. Because he knows that you are no threat to him. Psalm 125 verse 1. It says up there. You can look up on the PowerPoint. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. If you read the word of God and you obey the word of God, that is a picture of a man who trusts in the Lord. And if you trust in the Lord, you are like Mount Zion. Do you know why mountains are so mighty? And why they're so immovable? Because mountains are made of rock. And Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine... And obeys them. is like a man who built his house. On a rock. Hallelujah. Third reason why people are so shakeable. Number three. People don't dig into the Bible. <laughs> there are people who read the Bible. And there are people who obey the Bible. But they don't take it any further. And they don't dig into the Bible. You see the, the Bible is meant. To be searched and looked at and studied and meditated on and revered and spoken and preached. And, and the word of God is so deep. It's rich. It's rich. It's a treasure hunt every time you open up. Hallelujah. And people don't give up on treasure hunts just because they go out and don't find anything. They keep digging. They keep searching. And that's the same with the word of God. We've got to really search through it like a person is looking for gold. You know, a lot of people, they come to their Bible. And they got this huge hotel intercontinental style buffet. Hallelujah. And My sister Alicia knows what we're talking about. Hotel intercontinental buffet. If you don't know, go to Coex, check it out. If you have the money, hallelujah. Or if you go to a wedding where uh, your friend allows you to go there and eat a free buffet. Okay, hallelujah.
1: It's like having a
0: hotel intercontinental buffet before you. And they don't leave the salad bar. That's what a lot of Christians are doing. They got this huge feast. Just because it's a little inconvenient. Just because it's, it's a little discouraging because they don't understand it initially. They just stay at the salad bar. And they, they're not even e- eating the vegetables. They're, they're eating the salad dressing. <laughs> whatever's pre-made, they eat whatever's pre-made. You know, just give me what's pre-made.
1: Give me the sermons.
0: Hallelujah! And, and, and hallelujah! I'm telling you right now, my sermons ain't salad dressing. I will tell you that. My, my sermons over there. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Yeah, it's 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 the steak. Hallelujah! It's the meat. I'll be bringing the meat. Sometimes I give the milk, <laughs> but I'm also gonna give the meat. If you, come to, if you want meat, come to Friday Fire when I preach. Hallelujah! I'm, I'm, I brought the meat. A couple of weeks ago, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. John Piper says, If you rake, you will get leaves. But if you dig, you will find gold. Psalm 119, verse 140. Look up there. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. And your servant loves them. There's a picture of a man who really digs into the word of God. Brothers and sisters, if you will read, obey And dig into the word of God. You will never be shaken. You will be like Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Now speaking of digging. Let's turn back to the last verse of Haggai. And I want to dig into this verse. Verse 23. Of Haggai chapter 2. It reads. On that day declares the Lord of hosts. I will take you. Oh, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatil, declares the Lord. And I will make you a signet. I will make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, my question is, why does God talk about these apocalyptic end time images and then end by telling the governor about jewelry? Don't make any sense. And <laughs> the expositor's Bible commentary it, it says this. It says, "The mention of signet ring deserves special attention. In ancient times, the signet ring corresponded to the crown, the throne, or the scepter. Darius used such a ring to seal the decree concerning the lions then. King Xerxes also used a ring to seal his decrees in the Book of Esther." Uh, what the commentators are saying is a signet ring it's not just like a super bowl ring it's not just a wedding ring it's a signet ring uh, you use it to like it's like your it's like the king's signature and it's only on the king's finger so if you you can't forge the king's signature you know what i'm saying because if you want to forge it you got to get it like while he's sleeping and make sure he doesn't wake up <laughs> it's only on the hands of the king and that Ring, he uses is to stamp his signature on laws, on decrees, on things that he wants done. <clears throat> so it represents loyalty, uh, lo- royalty, authority, and kingship. It was a ring that was used to seal laws and decrees. And we must remember that the Jews have just returned from exile, and Zerubbabel here is not a king. He's just a governor. They are under the oppression of the Persian government. So knowing Israel's history and current situation, this was a big deal for God to speak these words over them, over Zerubbabel. Now, perhaps Zerubbabel thought that this was a promise from God and that God will reestablish the monarchy and the Judean state in his lifetime. But did God overthrow the Persians and establish Zerubbabel as king? Did he do that? All right. No, he didn't. So what happened? Did God fail to keep his promise? Okay. So let's dig. Let's dig a little bit. Look at this. There's a couple things I want you to note here. The first thing I want you to note about this verse is the first three words. On that day. When would God make Zerubbabel like his signet ring? Well, God said so. On that day. Now, it may not be clear when that will be, but the reference is made right after declaring God's word to shake the heavens and the earth. So we have to think here, the context, that God is not saying on that day, meaning that day when he spoke to Zerubbabel, but on that day when he shakes the heavens and the earth. And this will fit with why Zerubbabel did not experience being made the king in his lifetime. Second thing to note is the words, my servant. My servant. You know, my servant is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to different people. But in the prophetic books, it often has a messianic tone. Give me a Zechariah 3.8, my brother. Throw it up there. Zechariah 3.8 says, Listen. In the NIV, it says, Oh, high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring what? Who? My servant, the branch. Hallelujah. Turn to, uh, look at Isaiah. It's on the PowerPoint. Isaiah 52. Behold. Who? Who? Is it up there? You made it too small. Some of the older folks in the back can't read. I'm playing playing y'all up. Hallelujah. I shouldn't have done that. Isaiah 52, verse 12 through 14. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That term "my servant" has messianic overtones. You may say, "I think you're I think you're stretching it." You may say, "This is out This is out of context." Context. You can't separate the words "my servant" from the word Zerubbabel. All right? If you look here at the last verse, verse twenty three in Haggai, it says, "I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant." So you might be like, if it just said my servant, maybe it's a messianic, but it says Zerubbabel, my servant. So God is specifically talking to Zerubbabel, isn't he? Now, before you criticize my hermeneutics, which is a technical term for the methods of interpretation. I want you to turn to Ezekiel. Actually, let me get this on PowerPoint. I got this on PowerPoint, right? Ezekiel 34, 23. Ezekiel 34, 23. Let's look at this passage. Let's dig. Come on, let's dig. Hey, I got your shovels out. I'm like, no, you don't. I got my shovel. Been, I've been doing all the digging for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just enjoy it and then go learn to dig on your own. Uh, <coughs> Ezekiel 34 verse 23 says, let's read that together. One, two, three. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Here we have a reference to one shepherd. It's clearly a messianic prophecy. Because Ezekiel talks about all these bad shepherds and then contrasts it with the one good shepherd that will come. And Jesus said, what? I am the good shepherd. Hallelujah. Now, we know it's messianic. But God refers to the Messiah as my servant David. Now, how can this be? We know that God can't be talking about King David. Why? Because by the time of Ezekiel... David is long gone. So why would God refer to the Messiah as my servant, David? All right. So don't criticize my hermeneutics until you know your Bible. Hallelujah. And what perhaps God is doing in Haggai 2.23, he's doing the same thing by saying, my servant, Zerubbabel. You know, do you know where the only place the name Zerubbabel appears in the New Testament? There's only two places in the New Testament. and talking about the same thing. It appears in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When God refers to my servant David, God already sees his son being brought through the genealogy of David. And God says, my servant Zerubbabel, he already sees his son Jesus coming through the line of Zerubbabel. Hallelujah. I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. If you're, not com- if you're still not convinced that this is messianic, turn to Zechariah chapter 4. It's the next book after Haggai. And Zechariah and Haggai are very closely linked together. <laughs> Look at verse 6. Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Now, I would say that this verse is quite messianic. Because Jesus, the Bible says, is the one who gives the spirit without limit. Jesus is not only the one who is filled with the spirit anointed with the spirit he is the one who baptizes people with the spirit. So if you're not convinced keep reading. Look at verse 7. It mentions Zerubbabel again. Who are you o great mountain before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the top stone or the capstone amid shouts of grace grace to it. Hallelujah. Now, let me ask you, how is a great mountain going to be leveled before the human Zerubbabel, the governor Zerubbabel? Alright? So what is this about? This doesn't seem to really quite fit the imagery attributed to the governor. Alright, keep reading. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 8. It mentions Zerubbabel again, as if God was like, you still don't believe me? Keep reading. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand, hands shall also complete it. Hallelujah. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, physically, Zerubbabel did lay the foundations. And physically, Zerubbabel did finish that second temple. Oh, hallelujah. We're not just talking about that temple because that temple is no longer with us. But there is a temple that I see right now before me. Bible says you are the temple of the living God because God's spirit lives in you. Hallelujah. These temples here, Zerubbabel also lays the foundation and completes it. Well, Zerubbabel's not walking around among us anymore. So what are we talking about? We're talking about another Zerubbabel. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Who's gonna build a church? Who's building this church right now? Don't say Christian Lee cause I will, I will like you. <laughs> no, no, no. Glory to God. I'm not building this church. Next year God guy could take me out. Take me somewhere else. And he will continue to do his thing if you guys will keep his eyes, keep your eyes on him. Jesus is building this house here. He's building the church. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation and he will complete it. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's some preach, that's some shouting material right there. Hallelujah. Now, if you keep reading, it says, Whoever has despised this day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand, once again, of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. Now, that's a whole other sermon altogether. I'm not going to touch that. Brothers and sisters, when God is talking about Zerubbabel here, my servant, that term has messianic tones. And the third thing you got to you got to realize about Haggai chapter 2 verse 23 is the words I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 verse 14 <laughs> very quickly. Matthew chapter 12 verse 14. Check that out. In this passage, the author, Matthew, he quotes Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. And it's interesting to note that this prophecy is interpreted by Matthew to be messianic. And so let's read it. Look from verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all. Hallelujah. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 18. Check it out. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. That term I have chosen is also messianic. And it's, if you could not get it through to your head. They are side by side. In the prophecy of Isaiah. That is quoted in Matthew. And confirmed to be. Messianic. But this is what I'm trying to say here is. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ. Is the true Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel built a temple back then. But the true Zerubbabel. Will build not only a temple. But a kingdom. And a kingdom. That will not. Be shaken. The true Zerubbabel, hallelujah, will give leadership. He will be the true governor. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will rule with justice and righteousness. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is the true Zerubbabel. And God is trying to tell us in Haggai These last verses, God's trying to tell us that in the last days, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea, and you will not be able to avoid this. But we need not fear because God has taken Zerubbabel and made him like a signet ring. God has taken the true Zerubbabel and made him like a signet ring. God has established the rule and reign of Christ, the kingdom of his son into the hearts of men. And Jesus, the true of Jerubbaal, he becomes like a signet ring. And he seals those who are his. He seals the judgments of God. And in the book of Revelation, he is the only one worthy to break the seals and to fulfill all the decrees that God makes. Jesus said in Matthew 28 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, my Father. Has made me his signet ring. And with that authority, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and build my house because it is a house that will never be shaken. It is a kingdom that will endure. Oh, hallelujah, man. This is such a good word, brothers and sisters. It's such a good word. And I'm going to end with Acts 2.25. And the hope for us is this. In the sermon at Pentecost, Peter quoted a messianic passage from the Old Testament. And Peter quoted and he said this. Acts 2.25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not Be shaken. Brothers and sisters, if you will keep Jesus Christ always before you, if you will let his rule and reign, his lordship be established in your hearts, his throne, if you will give him the throne of your heart, if if you are walking by the word of God and filled by the spirit of God, nothing that happens in the future will be able to shake you. You will never be shaken. Turn to your neighbor, tell him one more time. I will never, I will not be shaken. shaken. Let us pray. God, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for you have given us your servant, the one you have chosen, the true Zerubbabel, the true governor. The signet ring. You have given us your only son. And you have gave him up to be crucified. So that through his death, through his blood, we may be washed freely and cleansed completely. That we may rise up as the people of God. That we may be representatives, ambassadors of your kingdom. And just as you have declared that your kingdom will never be shaken in Christ, we also declare boldly, I will never, I will not be shaken, for the Lord is always before me. May that be the confession and experience of the church of Jesus Christ at this hour. Ready us, Lord. Ready us, Lord, for in a little while, the shaking is going to intensify we do not know what is to come. We do not know the furnaces of afflictions that you will throw us into. But Father God, we have this hope. If we will remain in your word and be filled with your spirit, we will never be shaken. We will need never be shaken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name.